0: We'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Those are verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 107, the first 32 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Friday, June the 24th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, I'm your host John Green, thanks for being along. We are continuing our look at the book of Numbers today, we're in chapter 20, the first 13 verses, also in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 29 to 34, and then in um, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, um, we are in chapter, let's see, hang on, <laughs> 5, 12 to 21, <clears throat> So we um, are continuing this look at numbers, and, and remember that when they were not allowed to enter the land, Moses was told to turn around and go back to the Red Sea. We're going to start this journey all over again, right? So, so what goes around comes around. So, so we've come to the land, and now we've told, been told to double all the way back to where we first started, not all the way back to Egypt, but where God did his first miracle. And then what do we get? Right? The people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, remember, Miriam was the prophetess. She was the one who um, did not abandon Moses at the Nile, and in fact stood and waited until she saw Pharaoh's daughter retrieve the basket con- containing Moses, her brother, and then offered immediately to go and get one of the Hebrew women to be wet nurse for this child this baby and and therefore she preserved not only Moses' life but also at some level the culture she preserved and restored him to his own mother because she's the one who became one of the the wet nurse so she there, there's this miraculous thing that was involved with Miriam and she's the one that led the women After the uh, crossing of the Red Sea, she brought the women into the mix. Moses did the song, and then she brought the women in. And so she's been an important player in this entire thing. She's referred to as a prophetess. And so here Miriam dies. And immediately after that, and the the rabbis see a, a connection between the death of Miriam and what happens next. And so the remember the rock that he struck way back in Exodus 17, here in the same place at Meribah, he strikes the rock, and from that rock comes water. And so now what they see is this little detail. and This is, this will tell you a lot about the way that rabbis think about the Word of God. So in the same way that, that when Sarah died, they look and say, well, what immediately preceded that? Well, that what immediately preceded it was... Abraham taking Isaac up onto the mountain, and so they say there must be a connection between that event and the death of Sarah, and so they, they draw this connection. They play it out in the Midrash, so they have multiple ways of looking at this, and how did this happen? Well, it, it did did Satan, the Satan, uh, appear to uh, Sarah in the guise of uh, of Isaac telling him, hey, dad's lost his mind. Did he appear in his own guise to say, or the servant's guise to say, he just killed your son and she died of that? So that's the way they see that. Well, in this event, they see Miriam dying and was buried there. And, and the, what they do is they draw a connection between that death and burial and this next scene, which is the people arguing with Moses over water. We don't have any water, which is exactly the same thing that happened when they first came through the Red Sea. Three days later, they don't have any water, and they complain about it. Well, there's a, there's a good reason for that. You're going to die if you don't get water. And so he, God says, see that rock? Go strike that rock. Take the staff, which you struck the Nile. Now go strike the rock. And, and water gushed forward, and everybody had plenty for themselves and for their animals. And so what they see here is a connection between the death of Miriam and this rock that's going to provide water. And what they, they call it, Miriam's Rock. And, and so when Paul says that Christ was the rock in, the, in 1 Corinthians, he says that Christ is the rock that followed them in the wilderness, he is recasting all of that. Because they the rabbis—now, I don't know what the rabbis taught at Paul's time, but I know what they teach now, and that is, is that Miriam—that's Miriam's rock— and so remember here, in this situation, Moses is, is dealing with grief. His sister, the one who had, who had saved him, rescued him from certain death in the Nile, now dies. I, yes, she spoke against him, and it was not always a happy, clappy relationship. And, you know, that's the one instance we have of it. But it's his sister, and she played an important part, not only in his early life, but continually in his life. So there's no water for the congregation. They assemble together against Moses and against Aaron, who is his brother. They've just lost their sister. And the people quarreled with Moses. And it's the old quarrel, right? Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought us, brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? Now, the reality is this time, that's a true statement. They're going to die in the wilderness because of their disobedience, that they're Conveniently overlooking that fact here, but but they, they're, they're right. They're going to die. God's already decreed that. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt? To bring us to this evil place. Evil. It's where the Lord is. He's still leading them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by earth. The place might be evil, but God's there protecting them. But they're not blaming God. They're blaming Moses. But Moses stands as a representative of God. And so the abuse he's taken, when, when Jesus says that, that blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you for my name's sake, that's what's going on here, is that they know that Moses isn't the one that provides these things, but it's through Moses, he's the intermediary between them and God, that all this happens. So why have you brought us to this place? And it's the same place where the rock was before. It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. And this is the staff with which he struck the rock before. <clears throat> then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly. To, so so far, Moses is doing exactly as the Lord commanded him, and that's the way yesterday's uh, lesson ended as well. He did everything the Lord commanded him to do. And that's important. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels! I mean, Moses let his anger get ahead of him. And it's understandable in his grief. We see Moses' humanity come out here. In all these other cases, when we've seen him plead the case of the people before the Lord, here, no, he just can't do it anymore. Not this day. Not after his his sister has died, and, and he's dealing with all that stuff in his own life. Here now, you rebels. He's had it. He's absolutely had it with them. Shall we, plural, bring water for you out of this rock mm. he's accused the people and now he set himself on a par with god shall we bring water out of this rock and he lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff not once twice he struck that rock first time he struck it one time now he's going to strike it twice you see his anger and that, that sort of righteous indignation that he, that he feels like he's entitled to because he's struggling. With the death of his sister. And he strikes it twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank in their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe in me. To uphold me is holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. He, He acted presumptuously. He accused the people. Rather than loving the people. He accused the people. And then he struck the rock when he was told to speak to the rock. He was disobedient. And he became the accuser of the people, just like Elijah did when he was struggling with his own stuff, when he had to go through defeat of the prophets of Baal, and, and yet God didn't destroy Jezebel, and Jezebel breathed fire against him. I'm going to kill him. And he abandoned the people. And so too does Moses in this instance. He, he abandons the people, and he sides with God. He, he has left his position as, as the mediator between God and man and he has he has left the people behind and in doing so he sinned and that in disqualifies him from being able to lead the people in now we can look and say well that's really unfair that he had to go through all this but you know what he had the presence of God in his life for 40 years God chose him to be the leader of this people and if you're going to be the leader of God's people then you got to be without sin or you don't get to be the the deliverer the redeemer of the people And so he didn't, and he was disqualified from that. In an earthly sense, we can say that it's not fair, but is it just? Is it just? Because he disobeyed God, and in doing so, he disqualified himself, and he said, these are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarrel with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. One of the reasons that I I say this is, you're going to see it in the epistle as well, is is that, that we don't understand how big a deal sin is. We make too light work of it because we take the cross for granted and we take grace as a principle and we we don't value it enough and i hate to say that but it's true and i'm not accusing you <laughs> i'm talking about me it, it's a painful thing to see that that happen to moses but at the same time there's a price for sin and the price for sin is is you don't get everything you need a redeemer as well and if he'd come into the land he would have thought differently maybe and in and the same with Elijah he doesn't get to see the death of Jezebel in Matthew in the gospel that as they come out of Jericho now where's Jericho that's the first place they came with Joshua right that's where Rahab was so they're coming through Jericho and a great crowd is following him because they're going to Jerusalem for the for the Passover and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, "Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David." Now, Mark's gospel only tells us about Bartimaeus here. It doesn't tell us about both of them. And there's a the, the reason that that I would presume for that is is that that Mark wants to point us in some way to this Bartimaeus, and, and that he must have continued as a disciple at some level, and must have been a well-known personage, must have been somebody that you could go to and say, "Hey." Are you that Bartimaeus guy? And, and so he he must have been somebody that, that was intentionally pointing to in a way that Matthew's not. He's, talking, he's focusing on Jesus in a way that Mark didn't. <clears throat> I mean, Mark focused on Jesus, obviously, but there's a reason that he tells us about Bartimaeus. He doesn't deny that there are two there. He tells us only about the story of Bartimaeus, though. So the crowd rebuked them, these men yelling, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They could have, I've said this before, the first thing you think is, well, if you don't know that we're blind and we'd like you to heal us, then maybe you're not the guy we thought you were. But that's not what's happening here. We know what's happening here. Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? Because they could beg it's, it's life-changing for them to receive their sight back. They can continue to beg as long as they don't have their sight, but they're going to have to actually take responsibility, full responsibility for their lives. It's life-changing in many good ways, but then also it's life-changing in every single way for these guys. And he, so he said to them, that they, they said, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So Matthew's telling us that Jesus had an emotion here. He, he, was in, he, was, he took pity on them because they were blind men, and he touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him, much to their dismay next week because they, had, they, they followed him into the city. They went there, and you can imagine the joy they would have had in coming into Jerusalem as finally as men with sight, and they were able to go to the temple because they hadn't been before that because they were disfigured because they were blind, and now they can come into the temple and they can participate fully in the life of the nation. And then just in a few days, those same eyes that were opened to behold all the glory and beauty of the temple and of Jerusalem. Now behold, the man who is their healer dying on a cross. It's an incredibly painful thing to have sight. In the epistle today, Paul's continuing his argument. And here what he's going to do is he's going to compare and contrast Jesus and Adam. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We don't die because of the, de- of the sin of Adam. He just brought that into the world, and-, and therefore we need to realize we're the ones who brought it into the world, and so then we have to be the one to take it out of the world, and therefore Jesus takes on flesh, becomes like us, and, and provides the atoning sacrifice in a way that animals are not able to do, because the problem isn't the animal, the problem is us. So sin, indeed, was in the world before the law was given, because the law wasn't given until Exodus 20 at Mount Sinai after the exile in Egypt. And sin is not counted where there's no law. So sin was counted to Adam because he had one law. I mean, he had two, really. Be fruitful and multiply, but don't touch that tree. And so he broke the law. He had a law. He had two commandments, be fruitful and multiply, and don't touch that tree. And he broke that law. So that was his sin, and therefore there's punishment for that sin. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So death reigned because there was sin, period, end of sentence. But the free gift, because God did give them commandments after that. There are things that we didn't keep, and therefore you see God has to destroy the world in Genesis 6. And then you see that we were told to spread over the face of the earth, and God has to judge the world again because, nope, we're going to stop here at Babel, we're going to build a tower into the sky, we're not going to go horizontal, we're going to go vertical into the heavens and make a name for ourselves in the heavens. No, make my name known in all the earth. But the free gift, he says, is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, because his sin is not imputed to me. Adam's sin is not imputed to John. John's sin is not imputed to Steve. It's not imputed to Will. It's not imputed to Pelham. It's not imputed to anybody. But Jesus's righteousness is imputed to us as though we possessed it ourselves. We're not judged for Adam's sin. We're not judged for anybody else's sin. We're judged for our own sin. But we are judged ultimately then based on Jesus' righteousness. So he says, and the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So, And the question then becomes, which is greater, justice or grace? Well, if you're going to plead for justice before God, remember this, if you've sinned, You're guilty, and the penalty is death. So how great is grace that anybody has a chance? It's all based in grace, so it's far greater than justice. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Because the only thing we get is not eternal life. We get the holy spirit we get him to guide us now we get christ living in us through the power of the holy spirit so what we get with the penalty for sin is death and separation from god the 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 gift of grace is the present action work and indwelling of the holy spirit in us and the promise of eternal life in christ jesus Uh, grace is greater and that's the reason that that um james can say mercy triumphs over judgment He says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation of all men, so did one act of righteousness lead to justification in life for all men. Now, it has to be appropriated. That is not a statement of universal salvation. No, you have to appropriate it. You have to confess him as Lord. You have to have faith. (laughs) You, You don't get it simply because you suck air on the planet. No, it has to be appropriated into your life, and it's appropriated through faith in Jesus Christ. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So if there's only one law and you break that, then you can cry at some level, hey, it's not really fair, but you didn't just break one. <laughs> when we began to know more and more about God, when we got the, the knowledge of good and evil, sin abounded because we pursued the evil and not the good. The more we knew about good, the more we rejected good. Ultimately, we rejected the only good man that ever lived. That's, that's the depth of depravity to see that we rejected the only good man that ever lived, the only perfect righteous man who ever lived. Mm, no, you deserve to die for that. I deserve to die for that, our rejection of him. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's all about him, beginning to end. We need to ask for our eyes to be opened, that we might follow him, just as Bartimaeus and this other guy did. And and we need to have the humility to stand before God and acknowledge that sin is a a terrible, terrible affront to him. And ultimately, it's rejection. And what is it that Moses is accused of? Of not having faith, of not believing in God. And how did he prove he didn't believe in God? He took matters into his own hands. Instead of waiting for God to do the work, nope, I'm going to strike that rock. I'm going to do it myself. Because me and God, we tight. I got this. No, nope. you were disobedient, and that disobedience was a lack of faith. So faith and that lack of faith with were were the judgment of God. Now, it was just you don't get to go into the land was the punishment. And we know that Moses lives because, well, he talked with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So So grace abounded over Moses' sin.